It's time for your weekly dose of Wayne's Comics. Welcome to episode 471 of the Wayne's Comics Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. It's another great doubleheader show this week, and it all starts off with Jack Fitzsimmons from Time Schmucks. He's got a Kickstarter going on, and his book is described this way. It's the first installment in a six-part comedy science fiction comic series set in 19th century Philadelphia. There's all kinds of familiar sightings if you're from the Philly area, as well as subtle and not-so-subtle humor moments, so I highly recommend this book that you get and support Time Schmucks after you listen to this episode. Then everything wraps up with my fun interview with Jared Prestwich. He's actually completed his very first comic. It's called For the Love of the Game, and you can get it at Comixology. Here's the description. A test subject who has only known life within the cold, lonely walls of a science facility finds himself at the mercy of their latest experiment. It explores existentialism, morality, and suffering of the human condition. It's a high-octane suspense adventure, so I highly recommend it. And for a first outing, I think that Jared has done himself proud, and I'm looking forward to more from him in the future. There's a lot to get to in this episode, so let's get on with the show. I'm happy to welcome to the podcast Jack Fitzsimmons, one of the creators behind Time Schmucks, an original genre comedy miniseries, which has a Kickstarter going on. How are you doing, Jack? I'm doing great, Wayne. Thanks so much for having me on the show. It's good to to talk with you. Yeah, it's good to talk with you. I messed that up. I'll, I'll, I'll edit that down. It's good to talk with you. And I'm interested because, uh, well, first of all, people get mad at me because I never give the when things are going to conclude as early as I should. When does Time Schmucks, the Kickstarter project, conclude? Sure. So our Kickstarter uh, just started up, but by the time folks are listening to this, I'm sure it'll be a couple days. But uh, it does end on February 25th. Uh, so we are still early in the process, but uh, you have until, uh, yep, February 25th. It looks like it says 1.13 a.m. Eastern Time. Yep, can account for that. Don't know why I did that, but <laughs> uh, that's the, that's what we're sticking with. And, uh, you know, <laughs> I'm sure that'll be more convenient for somebody. That was the time schmuck business happening, right? Exactly. It was a real schmuck up. <laughs> yeah. Now, it's described as the first installment in a six-part comedy science fiction comic series set in 19th century Philadelphia, which is going to be fun. And I I appreciate you made it uh, available to me so I could read the first issue, which is a lot of fun. And I I have to say, you know, it it accomplishes something that not every comic that deals with comedy does. It, it, It entertained me which was great. I, I was thinking there's a, a book that I really enjoyed. That's a, a horror book. And the writer decided to go and do a comedy book. 
And I loved the horror book tremendously. But I got to the comedy book, I was nonplussed. I was like, that was funny? And he goes, yeah, yeah, don't you get it? No. And so with your book, I actually laughed, and I thought it was a good book and very entertaining about that. So uh, talk a little bit more about what Time Schmucks is all about. Sure thing. And, and thanks so much. I do. I really appreciate the kind words. I'm, I'm, I'm always relieved when somebody is, uh, you know, uh, finds it appropriately funny. Um, and it, I mean, it is, uh, it's a weird format to get the, um, the comedy timing straight because it isn't just a matter of, um, landing a joke. So with, with, uh, comics, it's, um, it, it's tricky to, to, you know, nail the comedy as you kind of mentioned, because so much of it relies on comedy is all about timing. And really what it comes down to is it doesn't really matter uh, whether or not I write a funny uh, quip or a, you know, if I, if I have a nice little two beat uh, joke with the appropriate snarky reference, uh, if the artist doesn't have a great sense of timing and, you know, we've been blessed on this project uh, to have Tom Hoskison on the, uh, on the line art and he just totally gets it. Um, He really just absorbed everything in my scripts uh, like through osmosis and was able to really nail the beats, um, which I really, uh, you know, I mean, it, it has made the project so much easier to work on since this first issue. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's really, you know, it's inspired by a lot of my love of pop culture. Um, I, you know, obviously I don't think you get into comics without being a, a pop culture junkie and being into like, you know, like science fiction movies and, and kind of cult classics and stuff like that. So I really wanted to do kind of an homage to uh, those, those kind of uh, different kinds of like time travel tropes, um, but really try to do something different with that, um, with that as like a genre. It, like a, a lot of the time, time travel is just used as a plot device. I really wanted to have fun with it. Um, and, and kind of make use of the uh, variety of, of uh, environments and atmospheres you can, you can do by throwing people um, into really unique and, and crazy situations. Mm-hmm. Which is a lot of fun. I, it's interesting, too. If you're familiar with Philadelphia, you'll know some of the references. For example, on the cover, <laughs> there's the head of the Philly Fanatic. Yes, which was famously stolen uh, about 10 years ago. Uh, from the ballpark, uh, and uh, and then Is that the uh, head? covered. Um, so yeah, somebody somebody stole the head, and then they called the cops. And apparently, they were there's this funny story about the cop that that, that uh, answered the phone, and the the guy at the Phillies clubhouse had to like describe the missing item. And it's like, are you really ask like are you asking me to describe the Philly fanatic head? No, <laughs> oh, funny stuff. It, it, it's really uh and and there's there's something else on the cover that, that I want to get to, but I, first I want to talk about the characters because normally time travel involves somebody like Reed Richards, who's a super scientist, and somebody who's the the more the athletic one of the bunch, so that he can do the the, the punching and kicking and stuff. That's not the way you did it, <laughs> shall we say? The the time schmucks are not super geniuses. Or hot yeah, for, for, for sure not. Um, I definitely, I, I, I feel like, um, particularly in in the medium of comics, you're typically seeing, yeah, you know, it's usually in a superhero context. Um, I, I kind of, uh, I, I love, you know, reading my big two books. You know, I love my Marvel stuff. I love my DC stuff. I love the movies, all that stuff. 
But uh, for the most part, if I'm going to pick up a new comic, I you know I already know everything I need to know about superheroes and how they're going to handle. Like I'm, I'm pretty comfortable with how like the X Men are going to handle going back in time. But what doesn't really get around a lot is like you know it's like guys I know from Philly who you know have a hard enough time getting around you know any, any given day suddenly winding up in a situation where people are dressed completely different, talking completely different and, and not knowing how to get home, not being a, 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 you know, a top five world intellect, not having, you know, not understanding the basics of, of, uh, you know, not even really having a great grasp of things like geometry and being stuck in a situation like that. And I think it is a more fun and relatable way. I mean, it, it, I always find it annoying when you have um, characters that kind of point out, um, the ridiculousness of a plot when they are super powered or, or superhuman. Uh, I think that's like, you know, it's almost making fun of the audience for watching something and buying into it. But in a situation where they're regular people, that feels to me more authentic and, and more relatable. And it makes you really want to um, get to know more about the characters and kind of think about it. It makes the experience, I think, more, uh, you know, more, more relatable and more enjoyable because you you put yourself in those situations instead of imagining yourself as a superhero. You, you're kind of imagining yourself as like, well, what would happen if I got you know lo- lost and couldn't get home, but you know lost a couple hundred years out of the way instead of you know a couple miles. Mm-hmm. So let's see. The guy's name is Johnny, and he has trouble holding down a job apparently. <laughs> Which I like. That, yes, something he's, very different. Uh, he's, I mean, so Johnny is very much a, um, a composite character of of many many people I know, and and certainly a little bit of myself. You know, as a as a thirty something kind of, you know, um, aging, uh, you know, like punk rocker living in the city, kind of, you know, you you know enough of your way in the world, but you just can't seem to uh, to pull everything together enough to. Um, you know, to, to, to get by or, or to, you know, make relationships work or, or whatever else it is, you kind of can't seem to get out of your own way, whether it's because of selfishness or uh, stupidity or whatever else it is. Um, so again, it's, it, you know, I, I really wanted to make sure that Johnny did not come off as too likable, um, but it, but, you know, not also not irredeemable um, because I think that's most people. Most people are, uh, you know, self-absorbed in, in a way and are, um, you know, mostly just kind of looking for their own immediate well-being and gratification. And Johnny very much is, is you know, if 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 the two characters uh, express anything of me, that you know, he's definitely more the id, whereas Lisa is more the the super ego. Mm-hmm. Okay, you mentioned Lisa. She's a ginger, and here she's red-haired. And she is. Yes. She's. I, I like that because most of the time in these kinds of comics, the the, the girl is blonde, and so when I saw a redhead. I said, "Hey, that's that's a nice little change." There's the funny image that you use over and over on the Kickstarter page of her when she realizes a certain fact that I want to talk about later. But she's got this look. She's looking at us when she discovers this, and that picture <laughs> gets around a lot. And that that version, I, I the artist did a good job of using that. I, I think you know the one I'm talking about. And she's got her mouth open. She sits there and she says something that I don't want to talk about just yet, but I'm going to get to. But I, I love the fact that she is, she's kind of the brains of the outfit, if we can say that, it seems to me. 
For sure. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's funny that it's funny you pointed out the red hair. That was definitely like a bone of contention in the, uh, in the design phase of things. Mm-hmm. Um, but I always, you know, I, I, I grew up, you know, re- like reading Marvel comics and I was always really into going back and reading the, like the masterworks collected editions. Mm-hmm. So all the stuff, like, especially like the, you know, the, the early Stanley and, and, and Ditko Spider-Man books, because, the, you know, when you're, when you're six, seven, eight years old, that stuff is just catnip. But, um, anytime there was a female character that was like the cool girl or the, you know, the, the more kind of contemporary female character, she was always a redhead. And, and I've heard Stanley say something, you know, that you always, you always do that because that, that would stand out on the page. Um, so I kind of wanted to do that as an homage, but also to have it be like, yeah, this is a recognizable character. If they're going to be, kind of trotting through time. I want you to be able to always, always be able to see where, where Lisa's at. Um, but yeah, I mean, she's definitely more, she's more grounded than, than Johnny. She's, you know, they are acquainted because he is the, the bar fly, the regular at the bar she works at. She's a bartender. She's kind of, you know, um, we get more into her kind of, but we get, I spent a lot more time developing the characters in, in subsequent, um, you know, subsequent issues, but this first one, we kind of just wanted to give you a, a, a taste, but, uh, she definitely is more, uh, you know, clued in about the way the world works. Um, and it's very well read. So it happens to be, you know, convenient that she's, uh, knowledgeable about history when they, uh, wind up on a, on a unplanned trip. Good for him. Cause he's going to need that. <laughs> he's going to need her around. So that's a good thing about that. So, um, there's another thing that we see on the, cover that we got to talk about because that's important and on the kickstarter page you actually refer to it there's a picture of i don't know i guess i have to spoil it because it's on the cover it's going to do it anyway yeah i'm not worried about it's a comedy book it's you can't really spoil it you know (laughs) there's a uh, a picture of benjamin franklin Mm -hmm. behind him and on the kickstarter page well, you allude to a fact that is brought out in the, the comic, something I didn't know, and I was shocked when I read it, that, that uh, see, I hate to spoil this because this is going to uh, take a shock out of the book. But uh, let's just say that uh, when it comes to science, Benjamin Franklin was ahead of his time. <laughs> That's a terrific way to put it, yeah. Um, yeah. a, a better way still is, yeah, is, is um, I mean, again, I'm not, I, I, I use it as part of the pitch of the book, but it is, um, you know. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I, I don't know. It's your, <laughs> it's your, it's your show, my guy. <laughs> well, if we want to, he comes up with the time machine. That that's what makes all this possible. And I was stunned to see it. And uh, let's just say that that the the reason they get back to the older time Philadelphia is because it gets activated by mistake. And. <laughs> The one word that they say over and over and over again in this book, and it's just funny, is is the schmuck word. Uh, first page, the first thing we see is we see her walking out, and she goes, that's schmuck. And then the next page, we get to see Johnny talking to, I guess, to who's like a girlfriend, says, you schmuck, she goes. And that word gets around. Even when things get activated and they're, they're time traveling, what is she saying? <laughs> She's in a long way. She says, you schmuck, she goes. So there's a lot of comedy in that. And the best part is he seems to be unconscious during this whole thing. So he doesn't even know what's going on, which seems to be kind of typical of Johnny in this whole thing. Now, I, I've got to ask, as far as like uh, Philadelphia, 
Uh, are you familiar with Philadelphia pretty much? Yeah, I mean, I'm actually originally from New York, but um, I, you know, I, I grew up mostly just outside Philly, and then lived there for uh, the past 16, 17 years now. So, I mean, it's you know, it's been home for a long time, um, and it's always it, you know, in, in many of the things that I write, if um, you know, if the setting doesn't matter, I try to make it Philly. Um, I'm just uh, you know, I, I love I love you know where I'm from. I love what I you know, I love calling it home. It's a it's you know, you get a big city environment but kind of a small town attitude um with just some of the most um entertainingly awful people on earth and uh you really never run out of inspiration uh you know there's there's definitely um so you know some random football related street violence in later issues there's uh you know we we we, we like it's it's a city that that definitely uh makes itself a character uh when given the opportunity well how do you describe the two of them lovably um, trying to remember, there's a, a lovably awful or something is the way you refer to them. Is sure, yeah, 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 yeah. Lovably, uh, lovably awful in uh, you know in the context of like um, you know the characters like it, like on Seinfeld or it's always sunny in Philadelphia. People who are um, just you know unbearably self-regarding and self-absorbed, but still possessed of some kind of redeeming sweetness or or generosity. Um, but you know, on paper, just you know, dog shit people, <laughs> just just you okay. know, totally self serving. <laughs> okay, okay, because there's a lot of things in there. I mean, I don't know what a Kensinger is. What's a Kensinger? Uh, so yeah, there's definitely some stuff that's not going to be uh, not going to be. It, it's it's for the for the locals. But Kensinger is a uh, uh, locally brewed beer um, from the from the Fishtown neighborhood uh, by the Philly Brewing Company, and uh, it's it's one of those. Um, it's kind of as it's ubiquitous there in a way that uh, you know. I'm trying to think of other cities. Like if you go to Brooklyn and they got Brooklyn Lager on tap everywhere, or uh, that's uh, or like you know uh, Steam Anchor or Anchor Steam, whatever it's called in San Francisco. It's it's very much like a Philly um, Philly staple. Now, see, I I grew up in Scranton, uh, Pennsylvania, that area. Oh, sure, you like gangling up there. Yeah, well, not only that, Genesee is. Oh, sure. Here. We do. That's the beer. Everything. Genesee is the one you have when you're having more than one. I don't think they do that anymore, but that's what <laughs> they used to do. And so, I, some of this stuff I'm I'm familiar with is because I, you know, when you're in Pennsylvania, you can't help but notice, you know, Ben Franklin and all that good stuff. We love our and Franklin and PI. Yeah. <laughs> well, oh, I, I got a kick because you actually say in there that this is a fact that Franklin developed the time machine. And you look it up, and you give a place to go and find. Look this up, and is it? So, I, I, Van Franklin genuinely developed a time machine. Oh no, that's more of a gag. I'm just trying to, you know, when things open back up again, I want to. I, I wonder if I'll get anybody to go bother the the very uh, pleasant park rangers that work at the uh, remains of his print shop. Um, there, there's definitely is, you know, the the thing with this too, with the time travel is, I'm I'm very much a. Um, a history buff and, and um, actually a lot of the stuff that inspired this, this arc of this miniseries, this, um, this stuff that takes place in 1876 mm-hmm. um, was a book about the um, centennial world's fair, which was held in Philadelphia in 1876. And it was like the first big world's fair and it was held in the U S but um, I kind of had to retrofit the Franklin stuff because he's kind of the only really smart guy in the history of Philadelphia. 
Mm-hmm. So he's really the only the only one that could be behind them winding up back there. And um, when I did, I kind of so I tried to make the stuff that actually when they're actually in the past as accurate as possible. But the one thing I really had to kind of bend was like Ben Franklin didn't really ever have like a big fancy laboratory like you would think of like Thomas Edison would. Um, mm-hmm. He was really more of like a um, entrepreneur and a, and a printer. But all of the uh, scenery that takes place in the book around the um, you know around Franklin's you know quote unquote lab is all actually based on a real location, and that's what we're referencing there on the on the Kickstarter, which is uh, which is a real place you can go visit and bother some some very friendly rangers uh, from the Park <laughs> Service. <laughs> well, I thought he's got as part of the machine, he's got keys in these b- bottles of water or fluid, some kind of fluid. And, and the thing that interests me, Chris, Franklin is well known for putting a kite up in the middle of a lightning storm and having a key on it to attract electricity and stuff like that. So when I saw that, I got a big smile out of that. I, I, Cause you know, that, that is a Franklinism is all these keys, you know, glowing in these different bottles and stuff like that. I got a, a huge kick out of that. I thought that was kind of funny because that's Franklin. All right. That's what he would do. <laughs> yeah, I mean that was that was another thing too. Where I, I found myself doing very weird Google searches about like, did they have uh, batteries in the 1750s? Um, but I thought it would be a fun way to kind of tie in that little bit of folklore, um, but kind of punch it up with some sci-fi imagery and give it a um, you know g- give it this weird little mashup. And again, Tom, Tom really pulled it together, and and our colorist Rebecca McConnell just like knocked it out of the park once we colored that up. I mean. The first page, the first page that we actually started, like the tester I did when I was hiring artists in the first place, was the was the um, kind of first scene where the time travel device gets activated, because I knew that was that's really the the kind of sequence the whole the whole story hinges on, and if we can get that to look like something that you know is both uh, you know resonant with the with the Franklin imagery, but also dynamic and, and fun and you know, creepy and goofy. Uh, then, you know, as soon as I saw that, we were—I was like, "Yeah, we got something. This is going to be fun." Yeah. It's really good. I mean, I really like it. You know, when, when they're going through time and <laughs> she's yelling at him, <laughs> it's a very, very nicely done uh, page. I, even when before that that uh, element takes place, it's fun to see where he's sitting in the middle of the room and she goes to him, says, "Wake up." And he doesn't, apparently. He doesn't wake up until things have happened. And typical Johnny, that's the way he goes. I love the fact that he thinks that this is a steampunk convention going on. Yeah, yeah he's the ultimate. He, it's, he's, cynical. he's cynical and drunk beyond, beyond his own perception of reality, which I really uh, almost admire. But um, yeah, he, they wind up. I mean, he's he's the kind of guy, really not unlike myself. When you live in Philadelphia, we have a you know the giant convention center is right next to um, the the big kind of food market where like all the Amish folks come into town and, and sell all their wares. And then two or three blocks away is Old City, which is where all the historic you know Independence Hall and the Constitution Center and all the museums and all the old history stuff. So there's always conventions and there's always people dressed up all goofy going all over the place. And when you're just, you know, you're, you're, you've got a hangover and it's Sunday morning and you're just trying to, you know, drink it off. And then there's, you know, I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've been, I've tried to go just get brunch somewhere and there's like 14 tourists dressed like Pikachu 
you know, outside of the restaurant. So that was, de- that was definitely speaking from experience, but, uh, but yeah, Johnny is just, you know, so dense and just so irritated. Like he's, you know, not, it doesn't even raise an eyebrow that, you know, there's horse drawn carriages and little newsy boys. He's like, no, nah, it's gotta be, you know, it's gotta be a work. It's gotta be something annoying. I love the fact that the two of them are standing outside in the 1800s and he's standing there smoking and what happens, but he gets hit in the face with a flyer and it goes flap. And I, I got a huge kick because that could only happen to somebody like him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's just, he literally, literally uh, the, like the universe is smacking him in the face, telling him like, buddy, he, like something is going on and he just can't be bothered to do anything but sit there and smoke and figure out how he's going to get some more booze. Well, then, of course, his reaction kills me. He goes, ugh, another convention? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. It says it's it, it tells him it, like it's it, it's my favorite MacGuffin <laughs> because it literally is just like, here's what's happened. Here's where they are. Here, Here's the year. And he's instead of looking reality into its own eyes and, and absorbing the magnitude of what's just happened. He's just like, ugh. very very funny and then of course they begin to figure out and then we get to see somebody else towards the end and I don't want to spoil who because it's a fun little reveal as we get to the end of the book so there's all kinds of historical things going on I I hate to spoil them there's wonderful things uh, that identifies the time we're in and I just get a huge kick out of it all because you know if you know a little bit of history you you do get it's really entertaining to see all the, the stuff that you've uh, woven into this. Now, this is like six issues long, right? Um, you know, it, it could end up being a little different. Our initial plan was to kind of um, launch this first one as a Kickstarter mm-hmm. and um, get this printed. The, it, you know, th- this actual project has been in the works for a very long time. I, I originally started work on this kind of nucleus idea way back in like 2014. Um, and then just never really sat down and kind of, got it hammered out until pretty recently. Um, but having done so, what we wanted to do when we started this, um, we, we basically finished all, all of the work on issue one around this time last year. And then uh, we were getting ready to launch a Kickstarter. And then of course, you know, the, the world is, uh, in 2020 was a rough place and, um, you know, it mm-hmm. didn't, didn't feel appropriate to, to kind of go and start soliciting people for, for money, you know, last spring, uh, when the world was just like, you know, crazy and chaotic. Uh, not that it's not now, but I think, you know, things are a little more normal, but, um, the, the ultimate plan is to get this printed up so that we can kind of take it to shows, um, when that's a thing. And, uh, depending on the response, you know, the original plan was to try and get this, to just get it, get a little traction underneath, uh, the first couple issues and help pay to finish out the first story arc. So we may still do that, but, you know, the, the response from people who are reading it um, has been really strong. So we may just do it in, in uh, you know, s- six or seven installments um, as issues. You know, it's, it's one of those things, the great thing about, um, you know, format like Kickstarter is it gives you this flexibility where if there's an audience for it, we can kind of, you know, deliver these things as quickly as people want to want to get them uh, or slowly. So, you know, um, but but ultimately, yeah, this is this is just the first uh, twenty pages, and it's really just meant to show you, hey, look, here's here's this uh, here's the very very beginning of this story. Here are these characters. If you want to come, you know, want to come jump in, you know, help us make that happen. 
Well, it's a lot of fun. I have to say, I enjoy the book quite a lot. It's just it's entertaining as can be. Uh, McGillan's Old Ale House, that's a real place? It's a real place. It's America's oldest continually operating uh, bar. It's been there uh, in that location operating, I I think, without closing since uh, the Civil War. Um, And they had a really great uh, open mic night that I used to go to every Thursday in my 20s uh, to play guitar or do stand up or do whatever. Um, And it's still a great place to go watch uh, watch a football game or great, great St. Paddy's Day spot. So it was uh, natural that it was going to be the uh, the setting for, you know, Lisa's workplace and Johnny's uh, home away from home. So we might see some other Philly settings as the series progresses. For sure. And, you know, toward the toward the end, um, when they are kind of running around town, you actually do see um, a beautifully rendered um, uh, drawing of what is now uh, the Please Touch Museum, uh, but which used to be the kind of um, main uh, main hall of the the Centennial Exposition during during the World's Fair in 1876. So there's there's a lot of the stuff, especially settings and architecture is uh, grabbed directly from photos around the city. So, you know, locals and people who are, you know, Philly heads um, are definitely going to get a lot of little Easter eggs uh, reading this book. <laughs> Philly heads. <laughs> okay, that's, that's funny stuff. Now, now, I find it interesting. It looks like the, the series has a subtitle. It's Time Schmucks colon Exposition. Why is it called Exposition? Yes, so... I thought that would be a kind of tongue in cheek way to, to show that it's the expository uh, kind of installment. Um, but we also have um, some, you know, again, depending on the, on the reception and kind of how we, how we go with this, um, the exposition bit uh, would, would basically encompass the first volume of stories. So that would be like the first six or seven issues to get us from, when Johnny and Lisa first get launched back into time to when they figure out how to, uh, how to try and get home again. So basically the, the whole time they're, they're kind of stuck. Um, this, this first, this first stop on this, on this kind of, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> the, 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 the proverbial Gilligan's Island three hour tour, this would be the first kind of Island. Uh, mm-hmm. so, uh, that would be, so for the exposition, um, I thought it was a great way to be like, you know, to, to show this is, it can be a standalone thing, um, but it could also be a first volume. Uh, so, th- so the exposition was kind of our nice little, uh, subtitle for the, for the series here. Okay. Cause it, it's a fun book. I have to say, if, if you have not done it now, I have signed up for it and, and, and supported the project. I did the, uh, because I, I always tell people I have limited space to keep physical things, <laughs> I prefer to get digital stuff. So I, I actually did ask for a, a, pr- a print copy of Time Schmucks, number one. And I also got the digital copy because I want to get the – but there's also something in there that I always like. I get my name in the credits page, which I always enjoy. I always think that's a great one. And you have a lot of, I think, fun pledge levels. And even on the website page, you've got stretch goals identified already. So, wow, you're forward thinking when it comes to that. Yeah, we, well, we tried to be as as transparent about what we want to do uh, from from the jump. So it's one of these things where if you're somebody that, that kind of stumbles upon this and you're you get excited about it, we wanted to give you a reason to go and tell your friends. Um, so it's it's one of those things. I, you know, I come from like a very um, DIY background. You know, I spent most of my uh, teens and twenties you know playing in punk bands, putting on my own shows, and 
you know, I was a stand-up comic for a lot of years and, and I'm used to kind of starting things for myself. And I know how, you know, how vital it is when you're trying to get people to buy into something new, you want to give them, you know, a lot of bang for their buck. So I did want to show, Hey, you know what? We're not just, you know, look, it, it, this isn't some rinky dink thing where we're trying to just get 20 pages of, you know, to, to, to kind of put on the fridge. If you, if you guys want to, you know, go overboard with us, here's what you're going to get out of it. Cool. Cause it's a, uh, very much fun. There's, there's one of the credit levels or one of the levels is, it talks about, well, you got a swag pack. You've got, uh, let me see what the other one is. And my favorite one, unfortunately, it's a little beyond my ability to do right at the moment. Get drawn into issue two. Join in on the adventure by being drawn into the second installment of Time Schmucks coming autumn 2021. So uh, let's see. I'm trying to see how many. Won't let me down. There. You, you got four, you got 15 people can do it. Yes, and you got one yeah. already so far. So that's good. Uh, that's great. So uh, 15. Are you going to have like a group scene or something? How are you going to draw them in? Uh, so I, I, I've discussed that with the artists. So we still have to to pin down. I, I think it depends on how many folks end up going with that tier. But um, you know, I, I just posted earlier today. We we um, in in the next installment that's coming out, we uh, we ins- we inserted myself and the colorist as characters in, in a group scene. But um, you know, since folks are going to be putting their hard earned bucks into this, we do want to give them an opportunity to kind of take up some real estate on the page. Uh, so we do want to give everybody who does it an opportunity to kind of show up and, you know, in a panel or two and, and, um, you know, we'll kind of, see, we'll, we'll see, cause there's a, there's a lot of opportunities with the time travel book. You know, if somebody is a, um, you know, into this Victorian thing, we can definitely get them in something very frilly or very, you know, very dapper and proper, or we can, you know, we can get a little crazy with it depending on the, uh, the time frame that they're most interested in. But, um, you know, anytime I've seen a, a comic um, Kickstarter, you know, I've always wanted to to have myself kind of. I mean, who do, who wouldn't who doesn't want to see what they would look like as you know some kind of bizarre cartoon version of themselves? It's it's the ultimate vanity, but it's everybody wants to do it. It's so it's you know it's undeniably fun. See, I did it once. There was one time I was supporting something that had a the doing that was a lower level. Uh, so I was like, wow, I have to get onto that. So I jumped around board. It was in a book called Moby Dick back from the deep. And I was one of the zombies on a ship. I, I, I asked the, the guy who did it when I talked with him later, I said, where am I? I don't see me. And he pointed it out and said, there I am. I said, boy, I have to say, it's great fun to finally get your face in a comic book. It's really something fun so if somebody wants to do it i highly recommend go ahead and do it when you see it it's really just entertaining as can be to see you in a comic book so i would really recommend it <laughs> so lots of fun so um so this is as i look into stuff it looks like of course you made available to me like a preliminary copy of it it looks like the digital version is going to be available as early as march so you're working ahead of the game here uh, yeah, I mean, we, so the books, like you know, we were ready to launch last year. So the the digital copies are are mostly done. We're gonna make a couple. You know, I have I have press copies ready to go now, um, just for you know for folks such as yourself that are that are kind enough to uh, you know help us help us spread the word. But um, you know, all that's left is to just uh, tweak a couple things. Add um, you know, obviously we're going to be adding a credits page for for all the fine folks that uh, that kick into that tier on on the Kickstarter. Um, and then actually, since it, since we are doing so much kind of real history 
in the book, I'm actually going to add a little bibliography as well for folks who kind of, you know, spot something they think is interesting or want to see some of the, the history behind uh, some of the, you know, some of the pictures and some of the shots and, and, you know, panels from the book. There's a funny sentence in for tier two. It says, if you're some kind of big shot, why not kick in $5? <laughs> I got a kick out of that. I, the sense of humor is quite fun. Even on the, the, the Kickstarter page, there's lots of the same kind of humor that's, I enjoy. And it says, hey, I think this comic sounds pretty cool. Can I rep this with swag? I like that. There's all kinds of fun uh, phrases like that that makes it feel, you know, just an enjoyable uh, thing to do. So I, I'm, I really encourage people, if you have not done this, uh, get into It's Time Schmucks. And it says Time Schmucks, an original genre comedy miniseries. You want to make sure you get in there. Now, you're, we're doing this early in the in the, the Kickstarter project. Uh, the goal, it looks to be $5,500. And you're pretty much you're doing pretty well in the original couple days. So I'm very optimistic this is going to get through. And like I said, you've got all these lovely uh, stretch goals already identified where you want to go and stuff. So I think that's a, that's a good thing. That really helps people know that this project's going to stick around and, and uh, we can expect good things from it. Yeah, well, hi, I, I definitely appreciate the kind words, but um, but yeah, I mean, you know, fo- folks who you know who like comics that don't take it take things too seriously or take the right thing seriously, I should say. Um, this is definitely that kind of thing. I mean, we we keep the tone of the Kickstarter copy the same as the tone of the comic. We just want it to be fun because that's what it's supposed to be. So you know, if if you're into kind of just good good clean low grade offensive fun, <laughs> uh, this is definitely something uh, that I think you'll get a kick out of. Mm-hmm. Now, I get a kick out of your description on the page. It says Jack Fitzsimmons, and it says writer, podcaster, hack. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I, I, I make no uh, no, no uh, statement uh, beyond that. <laughs> See, the good thing is you don't even take yourself too seriously, which is good. The good thing about that. Now, uh, I'm interested. I would be remiss as a podcaster if I didn't talk about you. You have some podcasting as well. So, what podcast do you do? Oh yeah. So um, I, I am previously a host of uh, Netflix with Fitz, which is a, or I guess it just turned to Flicks with Fitz eventually. But uh, that was a comedy uh, movie podcast um, from my from my stand up days. You can still find that out there on on Spotify. Um, and I used to do a history show called the history of stupid. Uh, both of those were kind of truncated and my production schedule kind of went down the, went down the hole after, after COVID started. But, um, I'm currently working with a couple of other people on a, um, on a new show, a new podcast, um, and accompanying blog, um, to just kind of cover we're, we want to do something that kind of, um, creates a sort of canon of pop culture, where we can kind of go and uh, give people, a, a, you know, a, a, the opportunity to hear from different creators, talk about uh, the projects they like and the uh, the stuff they create, and but also the the pieces of pop culture that really inspired them. So, you know, um, that's that's going to be coming around um, around March. Uh, once this Kickstarter stuff is done, we'll be launching that. But that's something um, that that is kind of on the back burner behind Time Schmucks at the moment. But uh, definitely podcast will be coming. It's going to be called uh, pop disaster. Um, but that's going to be a, a weekly show. Just about, you know, I think the first, um, we just recorded the first one. It's going to be about the, uh, 
the the kind of legacy X Men movies, um, and we're kind of breaking down, you know, what it was like in the uh, early aughts when that was the the biggest superhero game in town, and kind of how that's changed over time, and you know what we think the uh, the folks at Disney are going to do with those flicks now going uh, going forward. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it's interesting because uh, they've got the WandaVision going on on Disney Plus. Um, stuff like that. And, and it, it's an interesting thing. Disney is the monolith that everybody loves. You know, they can own the, they can own Marvel. They can own the Muppets. They can own star Wars and nobody complains. No, it's the, it's the friendly, uh, winking maw of capitalism. We hope we love it. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. That's kind of funny. So are, are there other projects you're working on that we should be aware of? Uh, you know, at the moment, this is this is the main uh, comics one. You know, I have a couple of um, couple of shorts and um, and, and kind of one offs um, that that are kind of out there in the ether. Um, once once I launch the blog, it's all going to be in one place. So just keep an eye out for popdisaster.com. Um, but Time Schmucks is really um, consuming a lot of time right now. I got it. I got a new one. I'm just getting started on. I, I might. Um, it might might see the light of day sometime at the end of the year. That's that's called drift. That's a um, a, a kind of sci-fi, a harder sci-fi kind of uh, survival story um, about a uh, an astronaut marooned on on the um, on an alien world uh, who has amnesia, and she's uh, the last survivor of the of the uh, scout team that's supposed to find the the planet that we got to go to because we trashed this one. Ah, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, and if somebody wants to uh, to follow you on like social media, how do they do that? You can find me at Hack Fitzsimmons on all the things. <laughs> Hence the hack. Hence the hack. <laughs> okay. Well, Jack, it's great talking with you, and I'm very optimistic this is going to take off and and be a big success, and you won't have the daily heart attack that uh, many Kickstarters and uh, endure. You know, you turn it on, and uh, it's been an hour, and nobody has pledged. Hopefully, the thing to do is get to the goal now, and then to get to the stretch goals, and maybe even you know be able to get time schmucks number two. Uh, how's that going, by the way? Before I let you go, uh, so I don't want to spoil too much, but um, that's actually almost done. Uh, since we had to take, since we missed out on the Kickstarter for a year, I was able to kind of pull a little extra out of my pocket, and, and we were able to. Uh, pull that together. So if we get this one funded, Time Schmucks 2 is going to be following very shortly. So again, def- for folks who are who are uh, kind of finding finding their interest peaked, this is uh, definitely something that's that's got more uh, more coming. All right, it's Time Schmucks, an original genre comedy miniseries. It's going to conclude on Thursday, February twenty five, at one thirteen a.m. Eastern Time. That's got to be uh, Kickstarter's doing. Nobody in the world would ever set that themselves. <laughs> I, yeah, no, I certainly would never do that. That's not something that I, I could have possibly done by mistake. Most people go like eleven fifty nine p.m. or or something like that. But uh, one thirteen in the morning, nah. Maybe they saw the name and they they decide to have fun with it somehow. That's the only thing I can figure. But anyway, it's a great book. I've got a chance to read the first one, and I highly recommend it. I have already pledged towards this, and I hope you'll do the same. And go to Kickstarter and do this. And, you know, I want to say, Jack, it's been great talking with you, and I hope we get to do this again because uh, it's a lot of fun to talk about these and these great fun projects you're doing. So keep it up. Yeah, thanks again, Wayne. It's been great. Really appreciate the opportunity. People need 
dramatic examples to shake them out of apathy, and I can't do that as Bruce Wayne. As a man, from flesh and blood, I can be ignored, I can be destroyed, but as a symbol. Get the latest from the comics universe. News, interviews, previews, and reviews. Listen to the weekly Wayne's Comics Podcast so you can keep reading your comics. great to welcome to the podcast Jared Prestwidge, one of the creators behind a fascinating comic, and I believe it's your first, as for the love of the game. Is that right, Jared? Hey, Wayne. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's an honor to be here. And yeah, that's correct. First comic uh, for the love of the game as a writer. Yep. That's great. So that's uh, interesting when I see the first is always a milestone for those kind of things. But before we get to all that, let's find out who you are. Uh, how long have you been like a comics fan? Uh, I got into it pretty late. I'm uh, 26 years old and I'm from Australia. I don't know whether you could tell, but um, <laughs> the comics weren't very big for me when I was a, a kid. So I didn't get into comics, you know, really big hardcore until Marvel released their Star Wars in 2015. Jason Aaron did his um, his run there. But since then, obviously, I branched down into other things and haven't really looked back since. Okay. Well, which books do you like currently? I uh, mostly just go for image stuff, uh, like uh, stuff from Brian K. Vaughan, Chip Starsky, uh, Jason Aaron, uh, guys like that. I haven't really delved into too much of the DC Marvel uh, beyond the classics, but um, I'm reading Daredevil at the moment, but that's about it for my big two. Okay, because I always tell the story, there's a shop near me that is big on image. You walk in the door, the first thing you see are all the current image books. If you want to get Marvel and DC, you have to go past the image stuff, get to the wall, and that's where the Marvel and DC stuff is. So I always find it interesting that people like image as much as they do. So that's cool. So, all right. So you've been reading now for about uh, five, six years. And at what point did you decide that you wanted to actually make a comic? Well, I've always um, been into creative writing. When I, was a, when I was a kid, when I was in high school, I always wanted to write a, an animated series. And so I delved into that a little bit, did a bit of filmmaking stuff. But once I got into comics, I was, you know, I, I found it a good opportunity just to cater to my writing style because, you know, doing essays and stuff in university, I, when I had to do a 2000 word essay, I could always, I always thought that I could do it in 600. Um, and I really like the thing that I like about comics is there's no wasted space and you got to make every little bit of space count. Um, so that, that was, uh, you know, when I got into it, reading some Brian Cable and stuff, Jason Aaron stuff, I thought, I, I think I could give this a stab. Um, but it's been a long process. Uh, this is only my first one, like I said. So, yeah, hopefully it all worked out and hopefully there's some more to come. Because mm -hmm. it's th that's that leap that I haven't been able to make, and I'm always fascinated when other people can, is to go from a fan to a creator. You know, I can tell you when something's good, and I often write reviews of things like that, but I cannot sit there and come up with a story. I, I come up with the dullest stuff. 
So I'm not really a creator myself. So that's why I, I, I content myself to talk with creators and, and promote their stuff. And that's kind of a funny thing for me because I really like to, I like to find the good stuff and and talk with people about it. That's that's kind of now you approached me about this business and you were interested in talking about the process that you went through. Now before I do that though, I want to talk a little bit about the, the comic itself. Um, as we said, it's called "For the Love of the Game." Uh, who's the artist with you on this book? Uh, Sidney Teals. Uh, he's an artist from Brazil. And how did you come across him? Uh, just uh, there's a Facebook page uh, called Connecting Comic Book Writers and Artists. It's it's pretty big. A lot of people are on there. Uh, so many people from letterers to artists to colorists to writers uh, looking for work as well. It's really supportive community, and that's how I found him. Also, um, there's a bunch of Reddit pages that uh, that do a similar thing as well. So there's, it's always a good resource for when you're starting out and you want to take that next step. There's plenty of people there that are looking to do the same. Mm-hmm. And it, it's kind of interesting to me because uh, some people co-create with the the artist and some people create it and have the whole story before you go to the artist. Which way did you do for the love of the game? Uh, I came up with the story myself and then contacted him. Um, and Sydney, he's a lot more uh, experienced than I am. He worked on an action comics issue uh, with Greg, Greg Rucker about 10 years ago. Uh I don't know whether you read that run. It was when Chris Kent was the main character. So he did uh, 877, it was. And I didn't even know that until I reached out to him. <laughs> but, um, yeah, like I said, a lot more experience than I am. And he did a great job on this one. Yeah, it's really an interesting thing. Now, uh, okay, so you did that and you guys started to – I guess he did he – showed uh, like uh, samples to you based on what the story was so that and that's how you knew you wanted him to do it um well i was looking for someone um a, a more experienced than me to you know carry the load because i used this story as just kind of to learn the process and he mm-hmm. he knows pretty much everything about it um so that that was it and yeah he did send me thumbnails and stuff like that but i was pretty sold on him uh from the beginning Cool, cool. Because something like I, I helped out on an indie comic um, a while back, and I was working with the creator. Now I was the editor, of course. I wasn't. I, I would just basically kind of comment on things, and I would give him reaction. But I went through the process with him, and one of the things I was really interested in was when we were looking for an artist. He would get samples of artwork of the characters from people, and sometimes we got him, and they were kind of dull we were like wow you know this, this i thought the story was going to be a little more interesting than that for people but when we came across this one guy submitted a, a drawing of the main bad guy in the first issue and we both went oh wow look at that that is great we can't believe it it was artistic at the same time it was interesting that we had gotten he's a big kind of hulking guy and everybody just kind of drew a big hulking guy you know and this he took a very different look at it it had a little bit of an animation feel to it which is was great and it it was an interesting because it was a little on the like i said animated side it was a little different in the sense that when we looked at it when we figured when people read the story, it had a little bit, almost of a little silly feel to it, 
And that kind of offset the, the, the suspense and the horror aspect to the story. And it was just this really interesting balance. And we, we did the whole run pretty much. We did 11 issues. The 12th is, is getting started again. They're going to wrap up the whole first storyline, but it was fun to see that. And uh, I would give reaction. That was kind of my, I was a sounding board for him uh, as well as kind of making sure that the commas were in the right place and things like that. But uh, sometimes I, he did one thing and they wanted to know, was it funny enough? And I came back and I said, gee, I don't think it is. We need a little more humor in there. It needs to be funnier. And so he, he went back and rewrote parts of it and made it much funnier. So it, it's interesting to see the creation of it and to do that. Now, of course, now you've done, how many pages are in this book? Uh, 11 pages of art, 13 all up, including the cover and credits and stuff. Is this a separate publication or are you going to be part of like an anthology? How's this going to come out? Uh, not at this stage. I'm always open to uh, submitting it in the future to any that, you know, have a similar theme. But for now, it's just a solo. Mm-hmm. So how did you come up with the number of pages? You wrote the story and that was how long it took? Uh, yeah, well, I was looking for something for an anthology uh, and I thought shorter the better. Like, like I said, uh, to, you know, learn the process and stuff like that. And also money is also, is a, uh, is a factor when you're first starting out as well. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's always a thing, you know, did you use Kickstarter or anything or was it your own funds? No, I funded it myself. Okay. All right. So, cause some people use Kickstarter. We used Kickstarter about three times in the, the, the issues and it really helped, you know, make, we had the, the first six issues, the sixth issue came out only in the compilation of the first six issues. And so we had done the, the Kickstarter for that and it really helped. We were able to order a bunch of the books and we still have some of those hardcovers. And then it got picked up uh, after that. And then the story went on from there. So it, it's an interesting process and stuff like that. So I, I, I'm just sort of curious if you could tell yourself when you were first starting the process, something that now you know, is there, what would you do with that? What would you tell yourself uh, that might help you or somebody else get along or figure out the, how to put a comic together? I'd probably just be prepared, more, be more prepared, have everything ready to go. Because I feel like uh, in the beginning, I kind of reached out to a number of people without it all set, just in my excitement. So maybe I'd, maybe I'd tell myself just to have everything, uh, everything in the basket before I go out there. Well, it's interesting you say that because, you know, I have supported several Kickstarters in my day. And the interesting one, there was one guy who said, I have this great idea for a comic. Give me money and I'll put it together. And we all went, well, if we give you money, you know, what's to say you don't decide, well, I better pay my bills with this. I really can't put the comic together right now. So it's interesting because there is a comic that I did support and it was, <laughs> I never did see the comic. It's the, they ended up, they ended up having a financial uh, problem and they ended up pouring that money into keeping the family going. And I understand that, but the thing was, you know, all, all the years I've been waiting for something, you know, to see something come of it, never did see anything from it. So it's, it's kind of interesting, but it's great that you, you say that because that is, I, I think people are, they're, they're, like you said, you're excited about the project and you're excited to see it happen. And it takes a little while to get the, the nuts and bolts together. You know, people think that the creative process is just creative and fun, but there's also a lot of 
tedious stuff that you have to do. You know, you have to write, you have to edit, you have to, you know, work with somebody and stuff like that. You have to go back and forth. And then, of course, you got to get the money together and, and manage all that good stuff for it. So it's a, it's a little bit longer of a process. Was there anything that surprised you about the process as you went through it? Uh, well, I think I just forgot about certain steps. Like, wait, you got to have titles and stuff <laughs> on your front cover. I was like, oh crap! So I better better grab someone to do that. It's just yeah, uh, cutting your teeth. Uh, I'd like to, I'd like to make these mistakes early on and with the first project. So yeah, hopefully I did that. Well, that's good. Well, I, I have to say, and let's, let's talk a little bit about the book now because I really enjoy the story. Uh, it's a very interesting science fiction story, and I will not surprise or release the surprise that is on the last page or two. There is a, a massive surprise in the story <laughs> that I didn't see coming. I was very shocked by it. And I, I was so intrigued. Now, and the, you got to remember the title of this is for the love of the game. And what it's about, we, we see a person well, why don't I let you describe it? How would you describe the story to somebody who doesn't know anything about it? Well, I I guess you could say it's a science fiction psychological thriller, uh, kind of like The Twilight Zone or Black Mirror. Uh, and it follows a test subject in a science facility who finds his life upended by the latest experiment that he's introduced to. It's pretty much it. Mm-hmm. Now, this has to do the title of the series is For the Love of the Game. And, of course, there's a game that's involved and he ends up uh, being involved in, in playing the game as it goes along. And what's really interesting about it is it talks a little bit because some gamers get so involved with the game <laughs> that reality kind of takes a back seat to them. And that has, that's, that's a little bit of what's going on, although it's a little more involved than that. But it's a fascinating uh, thing about game. Were you, you exploring that subject? What was it that you wanted to accomplish with the story as far as like gaming and talking about gaming or something like that? Well, I wasn't really talking specifically about gaming, but um, I came across the story way back when I was in high school. I, in science class, I watched this documentary about uh, scientists that would test on rats. Uh, they would give them they would just put a little button or whatever in there and they would push it and it would give them a pleasure response. So the rats would continue to push it and push it and and ignore everything around them. And then they would just die. Um, And that left a really big impression on me. Um, And when I was thinking up ideas, some, some short, quick ideas for my first story, I was like, Oh, how, how can I make that into a human Uh, from a human's perspective? And it just seems pretty natural to use technology as that a pleasure button as, as I guess you could say. Yeah, yeah, it's fascinating to me because sometimes we forget our regular needs uh, when we get distracted by something else, and it's one of the things that I came away with the story. Now, I'm fascinated too about one of the things that you do in your story is there is basically no dialogue. This is all depending on visuals, which you know most writers kind of feel like they have to in order to they have to provide a whole bunch of uh, word balloons. You know, well, I thought this and this and this and the other, and well, no, no, I didn't think that. Kind of sometimes even back and forth. If you have like one, basically one character, like this story tends to focus around. There's a lot of <laughs> even self-examination kind of dialogue going on. There's none of that in here. 
I'm just fascinated that you decided to depend on the the pictures to tell the whole story. Because, uh, like I said, for writers, that's very unusual. You know, you feel like you got to prove yourself by by putting words down on the paper. Talk about why you went, you chose this route because that, that's a really fascinating you know development for a comic. Mm. It just seemed like the natural uh, way to go, considering the. Um, you know, the layout or the, the environment that our main character is in, he's by himself. Um, what is he going to say? <laughs> oh boy. You know, like when he comes across certain stuff. Uh, but yeah, I, I found it as quite a challenge, not just for myself, but also for the, for the artist, Sydney. And I, I think while he doesn't say anything vocally, I'd like to think that the audience can see what he's thinking, how he's feeling through his eyes and other, other actions. See, comics are a visual medium yeah. in my mind. And people often, particularly writers, I have to say, I'll turn a page and suddenly I come on like a two-page spread and there are word balloons that fill up basically the whole page. And it, it depends on <laughs> how much I'm into the story, whether I'm actually going to sit down and read all those words. I mean, sometimes I will actually, based on what I think the story is doing at that point, I'll flip, I'll look at the graphics and then turn the page and I won't read all the, the words because there's too much. You know, again, the comics being a visual medium, I'm more interested in the storytelling and the, in the visuals because, you know, pictures worth a thousand words and all those good things. So I, I'm just fascinated that you went that route. I, I always think that the greatest thing that a writer can do is, is tell the story visually because that's what the, the greatest thing for a comic is. Although, you know, I'm so used to comics having words that it was a little bit – I kept waiting for the words to start. You know, <laughs> I, I would check the next page and there's still no words on it. And then I get to the next page and there's words. You were very dependent and I thought it was really a fascinating good way to go, a great way by the visuals and by his expressions, the character's expressions. There's one time when he's extremely happy and you can see that mm. in there. And there's other times when there he's engrossed in what's happening, you know, on the keyboard and stuff like that. I'm just, you know, that to me, I mean, trusting your artist to do that is you know that's a great sign i think when when you're you can trust the artist to carry the story like that that is quite uh you know that, mature writing is the word that keeps coming to my mind about that so i and there's a progression on the character as we go and the artist kind of has to show that and then the the big reveal at the end that i really liked and i i'm just fascinated was was it because um, Sydney was so experienced that you decided to to do that. Well, you said you had the story written, though. You were planning to go this route from the start, right? Yep, from the start. It just uh, happened to work out. Well, I'd like to think it did anyway. <laughs> so Sydney, you know, when Sydney came along, he was interested in it, and he was experienced as he was. That was good for you because then you didn't have to worry about, uh, you know, introducing dialogue. Because, you know, comics are famous for, you know, oh, look at this, you know, and uh, I wonder what it does, you know, kind of dialogue and going on like that. So to mm. to have this so visually oriented is to me a really great development. I just, I, I'm dying for this to get printed somewhere so people can actually read it, stuff like that. So, well, let me, that, that leads me to the, my next question though, is that if people want to get for the love of the game, how do they do that? Uh, it's on Gumroad and Comixology, those are the two places that you can find it. It's uh, for 99 cents. 
Okay. And is it under a company? Is there, do you have your own company that's under, or is it under your name? How, if they wanted to look, it's under your name. Okay. So that's how you would find it in both those places to do that. So, well, that's great. I mean, as far as, as the investment goes and of course being the first one you know you expect you you may not and and, and comics everybody likes to think they're going to make mountains of money with comics uh not always <laughs> <laughs> and i imagine i mean how did this turn out for you you obviously you enjoyed the process and enjoyed the investment making it happen i, I you know i don't want to get i don't want to discourage people either but if you you did this, uh, obviously making a lot of money probably wasn't your highest priority when it comes to this. But how did it turn out as far as financially? Were you you were glad you made the investment? Um, you, you think there were some things you could have done better? How did that turn out for you? Uh, well, to be honest, I would I would have put it up for free if I could have. Um, I just used it as a bit of fun, a bit of experience, and to also maybe have a bit of a portfolio out there. Um, and <laughs> I didn't, I didn't get my returns. Let's just say that. Okay. Um, <laughs> I don't really have much of a following online at all. Um, and I, I send, I send the book to, for free to whoever wants to read it really. So like I said, I would have put it up for free if I could, but obviously these other sites need to make money as well. But no, it was just a really rewarding experience. I, I kind of, um, it's, it's kind of like going on a holiday you know, like when people people use their money to go on a holiday, I used mine to make this. So it was mm. just a really good experience. That's a good way to look at it. Uh, and, and the truth is, as you said, you don't often recoup your investment, especially early on. It takes time to build a fan base and it takes time to get the word out so people can actually you know, know what you're up to and what you're doing. And of course, being on this podcast hopefully will help a little bit as far as getting the word out about these good things. So it, it's really fascinating. Now, of course, now that you've done the first one, are you thinking about other books? What kinds of uh, process are, are you thinking of following going forward? Uh, well, I just finished the the main art on another similar similar sized story. It's a campfire horror ten uh, page story that I'll be sending out to some anthologies soon. It's drawn by Francesco Iaquinta, who did Sweetheart from Action Lab last year. Mm -hmm. If you're familiar with that. Um, also, I'm writing a five-issue series, which I had as an idea before for The Love of the Game. Um, and Carlos Trigo is drawing that. He did the, the cover for, for The Love of the Game. Uh, I've sent that out to some publishers, and I've gotten some interest, which has been encouraging. Um, you know, obviously, I'm not getting my hopes up. Uh, it could fall through. It probably will fall through, but it's been encouraging nonetheless to have a nobody at least get an email back to us from from publishers asking to see more. So that's what I've got going on at the moment. Um, I got asked to contribute to an anthology. We'll see how that goes, but that's uh, later in the year. So yeah, it's all fun and games. So it's getting started. So you, the good news is when you do something and you get a reaction, you know, it's communicating a story and that's what you're doing with this is you're getting the word out that you can tell the story. And like I said, you've, you've answered that challenge of dialogue and, and when to use it and when not to use it kind of stuff. And I, I think that that, when people look at that, I think they can look and say, wow, this guy can do things even when he limits himself as far as dialogue and sound effects and things like that goes. So that, I think that's going to encourage people. It's going to get people's attention 
a lot and stuff. So uh, it, it's really a fascinating thing. I'm, I'm glad you've got other projects you're working on. Uh, are, are you going to pr- provide them separately? Or are you thinking about combining them into one book? Uh, how are you going to proceed when you have uh, several of them? Well, I, I think eventually I'll, I'll just make an anthology about all my rejected anthology submissions. That would be a good <laughs> idea, I reckon. Uh, put that yeah. on Kickstarter. Um, <laughs> yeah, so... Yeah, we'll see how we go. A few of them, like I said, are for anthologies. If they get in, you know, if they don't, I'll just put it up on Gumroad myself. Um, and also, if it doesn't get into these initial ones, there, there might be some more that come uh, come along the pipe later in the year or the next year or so. Uh, yeah, pretty much. But that anthology idea, no one steal that. That's my idea. <laughs> well, I, I have to say, indie comics anthologies are much more popular than, say, Marvel. Marvel doesn't do anthologies. Image just announced a horror anthology, uh, which is going to be done rather differently. Each issue is going to be drawn by the same person, but written by a different writer each time, which is an interesting way to go about it. I've never well, seen that. Real top tier talents, though. <laughs> I don't think yeah, we're well, going to be asking any indie guys to do that. Yeah, Jeff Lemire is one of the ones, yeah. um, several others. Yeah. yeah, yeah, all the well-known names, which comes in handy. But the anthology format is more prevalent in uh, indie books than it is in, say, Marvel, like I was saying, or Image. And I think that uh, that's a good way to get the word out, though. If you can tell several different stories and somebody's looking for somebody who tells a certain kind of story, let's say an artist favors a certain kind of storytelling and you can meet that then that you can come together and, and generate a book or something like that for it so this is uh, you're doing the right thing i think if you want to get the the word out that uh, that you're talented in when it comes to storytelling and the best way to do it and i i this is something i think everybody should hear is do it <laughs> mm. don't sit there and say well gee i've got all these great ideas but i've never actually done anything you have taken that vital step that so few people really do, and that is to make the comic, P- put it together and get it out there for people to read. I, I, I have to congratulate you on that because this is one of those things that I, I, so many people I have talked to, I'd love to do a comic sometime, but you know, I just, I can't get to it. I can't make it happen. And I'm always like, well, maybe you really don't want to do it. Maybe there's something else that you prefer to spend your time on. If you love something and you want to do it, you are going to make it happen. And that's what you have done. You have taken your story and gone through the process and made it to finished product. And which, which makes me want to ask you something. As you went through the process, you know, uh, let's say that uh, uh, Sydney gave you uh, pages and you started to see the pages as he got them done. What was your reaction to seeing those pages? Uh, well, it's it's a really special moment. Uh, even just seeing thumbnails, seeing something that comes from your brain that only lived there, uh, actually manifests itself in a physical form. It was really exciting. Um, and it's still really exciting to see. Yeah. See, that, that's such a great thing. I mean, I, the experience that I went through, when we started seeing pages come, we started seeing the, the illustration. There were, now see, in our book, there was dialogue. And so we had to get the lettering done. And lettering is a whole other uh, aspect of it. Lettering is the kind of a thing, if it's done well, you don't notice it. If it's done badly, you can't help but notice it. And so we, the, the time we really knew it was going to be a comic is when we got the lettering done and we saw the pages looking like a real comic for the first time Mm. 
And gosh, that was such a, you know, and, and then when you got to see this one was actually being printed, he was paying to get it printed. And when we saw the physical copies, you know, we just looked at it and was like, wow, you know, this is a real comic. And I don't, have you gotten any of these printed yet or are they basically still digital? No, they're all digital. And also I will say this story does have a letter, letterer. Um, he might be unhappy if I don't shout, shout him out. Uh, Drew B. <laughs> Lenhart, uh, <laughs> it, it was a quick job for him, but he's, he's still, you know, credited as a letterer on it. He, um, he owns Snowy Works, which is a, an indie production company. He does heaps of, you know, uh, old school sci-fi stuff. Mm-hmm. So yeah, shout out to him. He actually contacted me, um, oh. to do it because he saw it on Reddit because I put up uh, the cover and he contacted me on Instagram. I wanted to be involved and yeah, he's been really generous. Um, and he, he knows, he knows a lot, a lot of this stuff way more than I do. Now see, his, he had done such a good job on it that I didn't, <laughs> I didn't notice it as such. I, it just looked like it was a part of the story, which is to how well he did it. You know, it's well, even without word balloons, he's got like sound effects and stuff. And I didn't, you know, it was so integrated into the storytelling that I, you know, I thought, well, gee, there's no dialogue, so there's no lettering. And that wasn't the case. That He did a great job on that by, see, like I said, if it's well done, you don't notice it. But when it's badly done, then you can't help but pay attention to it. But he did a great job because all the, he does like sound effects and sometimes things are on the screens and stuff like that. And he does it so well that, you know, like I said, I just, I didn't even notice the, the lettering so much because he had done it so well and it was so subtle with the way they done. So it's really great. So yeah, he did a great job with that as well as the colorist. Uh, you've got a lady who did colors. Yep. Mariam Yasa. Uh, she's from Egypt. I, I believe I'm pretty sure she is. Sorry if I've got that wrong, <laughs> but uh, yeah, she was great. I had no idea what to do with the colors. So I was like, do whatever you want. Um, wow. And I'm working with her on that, that horror story that I'm doing at the moment. She's going to start working on that on Friday. So oh, yeah, wow. she's really good. So She's on Instagram, Mariam Yasa. Uh, check her out. Mm-hmm. Now, the thing, one of the things I'm interested in too is uh, your experience is similar to ours in the sense that our creators were never in the same room mm-hmm. together. And that used to be a, a, a very common experience. People who put comics like you know, the Marvel bullpen, they'd all be in the same room working together. Stuff and now with the advent of the internet and, and digital and things like that, it's becoming less common for that to happen. Because our guys, uh, one of them is lives in Florida, the other one uh, lives well, just moving now. Used to live on top of a mountain, North Carolina, in the U.S. And then the colorist lived over in the Philippines, and then the letterers lived in, in another part. Uh, I think it was. South Carolina. He's shoot me because I can't remember exactly where it was. But it was so, you know, we often talked about that maybe someday we'd get the whole group together and they'd all be in the same room sometime, you know, because that never happened over 11 issues and probably the same thing is going to happen with the 12th. Mm-hmm. So it, it's so interesting. I mean, did you guys have like uh, conversations online? Did you do Zoom or Skype or any of that kind of stuff? Or did you stick with like emails and things like that? Uh, pretty much just email and Facebook. Uh, in my experience, a lot of the artists don't want to go on Zoom. <laughs> I'm fine with doing it, but you know, people have their different preferences and stuff like that. Uh, Carlos Trigo, who did the cover, and he's he's drawing uh, the five issue series. I don't even know what he looks like. 
to be honest. I, even, I don't even know. I haven't seen a photo of him or anything. So it's been interesting. And yeah, for the, just for the love of the game, we, we're crossing hemispheres. Uh, Carlos is from Spain. Uh, Sydney's from Brazil. Drew is from the US. I'm from Australia. And uh, the person that did the design on the book, she's just my girlfriend. So she lives in the same house as me. So uh, it's all over the spectrum. See, that's great. But that's the way comics are these days, I have yeah. to tell you. At least the, ours was a similar experience. So I, I have to – if somebody thinks that they're and, – and that's to say I, there's some people who know people who make comics. There's one person. He knew an artist that lived in the same community, and they would get together and talk about comics. And then they, finally, they decided to do a comic together because they had gotten together and eaten and stuff and talked about comics so much. But that's these days getting to be a rare experience. I think yours is getting to be the more common experience. Mm. So, yeah, sorry. I got the, my phone went on the, my, my desk. Okay. Sorry about that. I'll take it. It's all right. I'll, I'll edit that little bit out of there. Let me, okay. So that's good. So you've talked about these books that you've got coming and <laughs> sorry about that. Do you need to answer that? No, no, it's all good. Okay. Sorry, gosh, I don't want to. Or, or fine, I'll, I'll edit these good things out. Let me just write the phone on there so I know what to do. Okay, so you've got these thing, good things coming. And do, if you really could do what you really want to do, uh, what's your goal? I mean, what would you like to do long term? Well, I'm perfectly happy doing just this as a hobby, but I guess the dream would be uh, to publish creator-owned stuff. Uh, things that I own 100%, whether that be through Image or wherever, uh, just doing my own thing and working with talented people. That'd be the that'd be the goal. Mm-hmm. Do you have a company in mind in particular? Seems like most creators want to either work for like Marvel or DC or like you mentioned Image. Any of those companies that uh, or other companies that you'd like to work for? I'll, I'll work for anyone really, uh, to be honest. But <laughs> I don't really have uh, a deep connection with any of the big two's characters, to be honest. So I feel like I'd probably do them a disservice. I will, you know, everyone knows who Batman is. I think I, you know, I know enough about Batman, but you know, the lower, the lower tier characters, I have no idea. Um, but yeah, I'll, you know, vault comics, they're doing some really exciting stuff. I'd love to work with them. Boom, uh, TKO scout, whoever, um, image is obviously the big one. They're the big boys. So yeah, that'd be great. That'd be, be fun to do. Now, see, when you talk about characters that you don't much about, know much about, there's a, an aspect of that that might make you appealing to companies. If you can bring a fresh perspective, fresh storytelling to something, that that could be something. Because a lot of the times I've noticed, like if, if you've ever looked at Marvel, they will be looking at indie creators. And, and uh, I, I could name some names, but I won't. Of people who started out doing their own indie books, Marvel took notice and then hired them to write their characters. And so, you know, don't discount that. That can happen if people, you know, Marvel is always looking at other books and and, uh, creators of different stripes. And they might come to you at some point and say, hey, we like your stuff. You know, can you do us a Spider-Man story? Yeah, we'll see how we go. There's a lot of people ahead of me at the moment. Well, there's, a lot, there's a lot of great indie writers out there. Uh, yeah, we'll see if I can if I can match them uh, one day. Well, uh, some of the people who are writing Marvel books now 
felt the same way that other people would be way ahead of them. Instead, Marvel went right to them and liked what they were doing and could see them writing Marvel characters. And so they've done that. So I, I just say that uh, I, I wouldn't, if it doesn't happen immediately, and it's one thing that this process does, it, it's a time consuming one. You'll get started on something and you can do these things and it may take a while. And see, this is where conventions really come in handy, too. Um, when they come back up, I would encourage you to go to conventions and get a table and kind of share your stuff and get to know other people around you. Those kind of connections can really be helpful. So I think that's great. Have you been to a convention before? No, I never have. We do have a few over here, but obviously COVID got in the way. Um, mm-hmm. I'd, I'd love to go to one and show off some stuff. Uh, even if I don't have anything to sell, uh, going there to network, like you said, would be really exciting. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so there's a few around, not not as many as America, but I think we Australia might get them back before you guys do. So we uh, might be in the conventions while you're still hiding in your homes. Yeah, yeah well, you know, uh, good for you. <laughs> so I'll tell you, I wish we could. We It's starting to happen. There are some of the smaller conventions are happening. And, of course, there's a lot of social distancing happening with those kinds of things, masks and, you know, maintaining your six feet away kind of stuff. And it's, I would encourage that because you may not make any money. The first times we didn't, we were in several conventions and we were desperately trying to break even. And what we found was that the connections that we made with other people were so much more valuable, say, than the money that we would take in. You know, we got to know people. Uh, uh, I could tell stories. We, you know, we got to know people who run companies because they were there at the booths, and and some of those people started to go, uh, you know, up through comics. And because we knew them, they wanted us to go with them, and so we went along with a couple of those situations. So I always encourage people if you're going to go to conventions. Don't worry so much about the money. Just like with the comic for you, you it was a, it was an expense on many levels, but it was something that that you wanted to do and you were glad to make happen. So I would say, when the conventions come around, I would seriously consider getting a, getting a table, maybe like an artist alley or something like that, and show off your wares. But particularly pay attention to the people there with you behind the tables and talk with those people and get to know them. And you never know, some kind of uh, a, a contact might develop and it would be really good for you as a, in your professional life to do that. But it's my advice anyway. Yep, I'll take it. It's good. Yeah, so that's a good thing. So uh, if people want to follow your stuff and keep up with what you're doing, how do they do that on social media? Well, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Jay Presswidge, so J-P-R-E-S-T-W-I-D-G-E. Yeah, I know it's kind of hard to spell, remember, but that's it. Yeah, I'm on Instagram. I like to post art and, um, you know, Instagram stories of my cat. Uh, I just uh, posted the first image from the horror campfire uh, story. So I've moved on from talking about For the Love of the Game, talking about this now. Um, so yeah, get on it while you, if if you're so inclined. Okay, very good. Is any any other ones like Twitter or? Yeah, Twitter's uh, the same thing at Jay Presswich. Um, same thing. I I don't I don't, I'm not on there as much as I'm more of a lurker. But uh, you know, if I get some more followers, maybe I'll start tweeting more. <laughs> okay, I've been a Facebook guy. Are you on Facebook? Yeah, but I, it's just private. Okay. Okay. And there are several new ones coming around. MeWe, I think. Uh, I've gotten on there and Flickr. Uh, with this podcast, I try really hard to get 
out as far and wide as I can. So if I see something I can figure out, I haven't figured out Reddit yet. I, I haven't, I don't understand how that works, but for me, I, I use as many as I can. I even do LinkedIn and stuff like that to uh, talk about stuff. So I, I'm always trying to get the word out. It's not really about me. It's called Wayne's comics, but it's really the comics that are the important thing. Like, like what you're doing is so much more important than me. So I, that's why I try to focus on stuff that you're doing so so jared i congratulations i have to tell you you've done a great start you you've done it and that's doing that first one is such a huge step forward and now that you've got other stories in the works i'm anxious to read those stories and see how you do it i imagine you're you're going to do things a little differently in each story so that's gonna be fun to see how you do that so all i can say is just keep up doing what you're doing and uh, you know have fun and and do these books and tell stories that people will enjoy and keep it up yeah, thanks, Wayne. I appreciate it. It means a lot coming from you, and uh, the what response I have gotten has been really positive, and it, it's it's been a thrill. And that's it for this week. Be back next time. We'll have another great interview with another terrific comics creator. But until then, keep reading your comics.